0: kyle's internal monologue in this episode we're going to be discussing the babylon 5 season 2 episode There, all the honor lies this episode was written by uh peter david who wrote uh one of the previous episodes soulmates i believe it's the last episode he writes for babylon 5 he's one of my favorite comic book writers he's written a lot of really good stuff uh as i've mentioned before hulk young justice um, Aquaman, you know, he's just a really well-known, uh, in the comic book industry, and he's well-known in the sci-fi industry as well. And, uh, th- this episode, while not as good as Soulmates, I think is still pretty good. I think this episode does a lot of reinforcement of the Mimbari mentality, something I've been talking about at length, uh, multiple times at this point, especially in the episode Legacies, if my memory serves. You know, the Mimbali think they are superior. They think they're superior in everything. And so they, uh, you know, have a distaste for, you know, anything in regards to that that's not theirs. Um, and in this episode, they basically try and frame Sheridan uh, because they don't, or, you know, in order to maintain honor... Uh, amongst uh, you know um, amongst their clan, which serving their clan, their caste is like the, one of the most fundamental pillars of Minbari culture. Uh, that the, the, you know Ashan you know frames frames Sheridan uh because he's the star killer he you know uh, he shouldn't be running the station plus they don't the, he just doesn't like humans plus he wants to maintain the honor of his clan and all this sort of stuff and it's just showing how membari culture is so hypocritical and so stupid and that's the point membari the membari need to the change they need to learn from the errors of their ways except they're just so stuck in tradition i've talked about this at length before That everything the Mimbari do is so steeped in tradition and symbology and the religion that almost nothing of substance is ever accomplished because they can't see beyond the old. They cannot see beyond this is the way it's always been done. And therefore, this is the way it always should be done. I mean, we even get the analysis of, you know, Ashan... Basically, his entire deal is, you know, as as Delyn puts it, you know, uh, your service to the ability to serve is one of the most fundamental, important aspects of the Membari. It is, it is what every Membari aspires to: to serve their clan, to serve their caste, to gain honor for them. Uh, and so his entire plan is, is literally just a way to perpetuate this traditional cycle of honor and integrity that is completely false. As we well know, the Mimbari don't lie except to save another. Except most people don't know the addendum to except to save another. Most people just know Mimbari do not lie. So they just assume Mimbari are trustworthy. It is the tradition that they uphold. As well we know, this is not true. Mimbari will lie if it, it is deemed necessary, and Ashan almost implicitly gets away with lying and framing Sheridan because, hey, Mimbari don't lie. Which, in it and of itself, is a lie, because Mimbari do not lie, except to save another, and in this case, to save the clan. Um, once again, this is Mimbari culture at its you know finest it is the perpetuation of tradition and the old ways uh romanticizing the past and romanticizing the way things should be done leads to stagnation the mimbari are nothing but stagnant they don't even respect Delyn, who in many ways is attempting to improve life from mimbari. Uh, because she's seen as a freak. She is now a half-human, half, you know, Mimbari hybrid, and she's a freak. Uh, Ashan won't even talk to her because he doesn't talk to freaks. And uh, Garibaldi even brings up that it doesn't make sense why... Uh, how the warrior cast uh, guy who gets killed, and his death is framed on Sheridan, why he would shoot himself, because uh, that would require using a Earth-made human PPG, and that would insult the uh, the warrior cast warrior pride to use a human weapon. They only use Mimbardi weapons. Um, it is basically patriotism to the max. It is, we are superior because we have always been superior. Basically, we are better, period. And I've talked about this at length, that that kind of mentality leads to nothing good whatsoever. It never will, never has. And... And basically, we see that reflected in multiple uh, of the different cultures in B5, but the Bimbari have it one of the worst, because they were selected by the Vorlons way back when. We've talked about that they that they fought in the original Shadow War, that they fought against the oncoming darkness a thousand years ago and obviously the Vorlons were there as well so we know that they in, in, in the, the, the Membari, have a fundamental understanding of the Vorlons that no one else does even though they've never seen one outside of an encounter suit they still understand the Vorlons better than anybody else does. Uh, D'Lynn's obviously seen one without an uh, encounter suit she saw Kosh when she asked way back in season one Uh, so there's obviously a connection between those two races, and the Vorlons, as mentioned last week, uh, you know, have this entire mystique of superiority around them, and the Mimbari are following in the same suit. And the belief that you are superior, that your way is right, that the old ways are best, new ways suck, um, is stupid, and it stagnates a culture. Hell, we even see it in our real life. Look at every generation. You know, generations are spanned every roughly 30 years and you see it all the time, of kids are just lazy nowadays, millennials suck, Uh, you know, blah, 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 my ways were the better, you know, uh, the 80s were so wonderful. It is romanticizing the past in a horrible, horrible way. The 80s were not a good time. If you look at the world and the state of the world and what was going on in the 80s. The 80s was a horrible, turbulent time for the entire world. But people romanticize it because they, you know, you know that generation, the, the kids, romanticize it because all they saw was their childhood. And because of the limitations of the time and economic problems and situations, they had less than most kids have nowadays. And technological differences, of course, as well, and so they see it as that kids nowadays have it too easy, too good, too spoiled no you're it's exactly the same. The entire difference is the technological level it's there, there's there's no difference between any generation there is no generation that is better there's no generation that is lesser we're all the goddamn same we always have been, and a mimbara culture is stagnating much like you know, humans stagnate when they romanticize the past because it's all about tradition and the old ways are better. Um, and Delenn is trying to change that and is meeting with immense amount of resistance as we've well seen. Um, and, I, and I like how Lanier, um, we, we've seen him be this incredibly meek, shy, you know, unfor sure of himself, but fascinated and curious assistant to Delenn. And then we've seen him fascinated with human culture, with the motorcycle thing, and then we've seen him stand up for Londo. And in that, uh, we have seen him grow more confident. Previous episodes, we saw his loyalty to the Lin above all. And, and now we get to see him uh, use his understanding of Mimbari culture and Mimbari tradition and Mimbari politics to maneuver his way around Ashan to help take uh, you know take Ashan down and expose the truth in uh, the fact that he goes no, I'm willing to sacrifice my honor uh, by by you know taking everything upon myself it, it would harm the honor of my clan uh, but I will regain honor by telling the quote unquote truth and uh, and ashan tries to turn those words against him and he goes no that's not that's not how our honor system works. The entire idea of honor, being the penultimate currency in Mambare culture. It is the, you know, it is the respect you deserve. Uh, it is how much you uphold tradition. Um, it is uh, it is more a symbolic meaning that it is true. You can be a horrible, despicable person and still uphold tradition and therefore have quote-unquote honor. It's not true honor. That's an, being honorous is entirely different to upholding tradition, as we well know. Uh, I like that entire side of the plot. It just it, it, it's just reaffirming what we know by Mim, of Membari culture, but really seeing it through it taking to its furthest extreme, um, and it, it was a nice little a plot. The uh, B and C plots are fun with themselves. The uh, the entire uh, Veer Veer side of the plot. Uh, I like how it reaffirms and shows just how much Londo does care for Veer. Uh, you know, Londo is, has been, was dismissive of Veer at first, and he's grown to care about him, like him, and see him as a friend. And as much as they disagree on certain things and whatnot, they're still friends. And Veer was sent away by his family because his family could care less about him and sent him to this job because it meant nothing. And now, because of every choice that London has made, the ambassadorial position to be five is now a revered and important position, and the assistant to said ambassador is seen as a stepping stone to furthering one's career. Vera is not from an important enough family, is not is not worthy to have that title, to be the assistant to Londo, to be the assistant to the Ambassador of Babylon 5. So he is to be replaced by someone who's more important, who probably has bought his way or, you know, backstabbed his way into becoming important enough to dis- in the Centauri government to be given this position so that it would be a stepping stone in his career. Veer doesn't see this as a stepping stone in his career. He just sees it as his job and, and he gets to spend time with a now friend. Uh, Londo, you know, steps in, sees that his friend is suffering, because his friend doesn't really drink, and he, um, he then helps him out, you know, Veer feels pushed into a corner, he feels feels surrounded on all sides, it's all about what other people want, not what he wants, you know, this is what Londo wants, this is what my parents want, this is what the government wants, no one's ever asked me what I want, you know, and... He doesn't even know what he wants, he's too too afraid, he feels backed in a corner, he feels surrounded. Uh, he feels like he doesn't have choice, much like Lando did previously, and now he has to deal with that, and he doesn't know how to deal with it. And so Lando takes it with it himself to go, and he deals with the situation by using his newfound power, which was being levied by other people to get rid of Veer, to keep Veer. Personally, talks to uh, Veer's family, talks to the Centaurum, and gets uh, and gets Veer uh, established as a well-meaning and good person to stay around and be his assistant because he he was he's invaluable to Lando, uh, and this is to keep his friend around, but also he genuinely needs someone he can trust and he can trust Veer. I mentioned this before when he chose to keep Timov. He needs someone that will shoot straight with him, who will tell him what he's doing wrong and Veer has shown many times he's more than willing to do that Uh, but he also does it with a charm that is suitable for friends he teases uh, Veer for having his very first hangover, he teases Veer by saying oh I invited your family to stay for a bit, all of this is done uh, as a basically playful helpfulness it's exactly what friends do friends will tease and play with one another but at the end of the day they truly do care about you know you and they care about everyone in their friend group and they'll be incredibly nice but they will uh have fun while being nice if that makes sense um and then the entire gift shop subplot which is very minor it's mainly for comedy It's a fun idea. The budget of Babylon 5, I don't mean real-life budget, but I mean in-universe budget, has been an ongoing sort of discussion topic since Season 1. Um, and, of course, we've had several episodes about it. Uh, there was a subplot a few episodes ago about, uh, you know, the, them uh, forcing Sheridan and Ivadova to pay for their quarters. And then, of course, uh, the dock workers strike from last season. And then I this isn't a spoiler because the very next episode, the next episode is going to entirely be about whether or should continue funding Babylon 5, the Bab- if the Babylon project was even worth it. And, uh, and speaking of the dark workers, we're going to get a cameo from one of the dark workers from that episode. Uh, and so one of the ways the, the board of executives basically decides will be beneficial to raising the budget of Babylon 5 to keep the budget on task is to sell merchandise. And it, it, it's late stage capitalism. Exactly what Ivanova says, you know, your, your neck, your last best hope for a quick buck uh and it's it's trivializing the important work that that the crew is risking their lives for pretty much to do and it's entirely hilarious and entirely stupid and that's the point it's ridiculous and uh that scene where Ivanova goes to visit the shop is really funny, and then of course the nice little jab at Deep Space Nine with, we're not some Deep Space franchise. Now, it's not intended to be a spiteful jab at Star Trek. Um, You know, JMS, uh, you know, uh, talked, uh, has talked at length about the issues with Uh, the potential of him uh, having been ripped off by Paramount and them stealing the idea for Babylon 5 and changing it into Deep Space Nine. And uh, there's a lot to be said there, but something that he's made absolutely clear is that the writers and uh, actors and everybody who personally worked on DS9, they never had any say in the matter. They never had any say in... uh, They never had any clue that it was ripped off they knew that it was perhaps came from someone else uh it but it wasn't uh it it was never their decision it was the higher-ups the executives at paramount who said this is a good idea turn it into a star trek show and change some aspects and so the writers really had no um Uh, it was no fault of their own. So it's a playful jab at Deep Space Nine rather than a spiteful jab. And it's always fun to keep the competition like that alive. And we'll get further stuff like that, like there will be an episode where Major Barrett, Gene Roddenberry's wife, will show up on uh, Babylon 5 playing a particular character so it will be fun uh, and then, the, and the, and of course I mentioned last week about the Lumati which were the, uh, the parodies of the Federation so it's just fun to throw references here and there but also in the gift shop uh, I just want to point out the hilarity that it is that Sinclair and Sheridan have the exact same initials pretty much uh, you know uh, John J. Sheridan and then uh, Jeffrey David Sinclair. It's not the exact same initials, but their first and last name have the same letters. So J S can be stand can be standard for John Sheridan or Jeffrey Sinclair, which we see on the bear, and it's just kind of funny uh, in its own way, and. I like how the end of the episode is Sheridan you know air, you know spacing the the teddy bear by throwing out the airlock and Warren Keffer accidentally discovering it on patrol. I, I believe that bit was added by JMS at the last minute because JMS has a rule of no cute no kids on his show and he des- desperately hates you know, cute things like teddy bears like that. So it, it, it makes sense. Uh, and it uh, it's also perfectly within character, and that's also just a laugh-out-loud moment. But the biggest laugh-out-loud moment is Londo's reaction to his toy, which, you know, all the merchandise seen in the shop is, is neat little fun fact, actual B5 merchandise of the time. Uh, and obviously this isn't a heavily merchandise show, but the what little there is was there on display. You know, Londo takes offense to his action figure because this is a neat little way to show differences in cultural perception of things on a very mundane, a very small scale. Londo takes offense to his action figure because it doesn't show him to be well endowed. And what I mean by that is it doesn't show his tentacles, which are, you know, his, you know, procreation organs. Um, and, as we well know, uh, the Centauri have multiples. And, you know, humans don't want to have toys that are anatomically correct. Uh, that kind of thing tends to weird us out. There's some people who want that, and that's, you know, if you want that, that's fine. But those aren't the traditional figures that are sold. Uh, you know, especially in public places, uh, that aren't catering towards the crowd that want anatomically correct kind of toys and but in the centauri mindset the centauri culture since everything is about politics and presenting yourself wearing a mask showing yourself in all your glory including those kind of organs is a way to present yourself uh not not sexually but as a um basically that put your cards on the table and say this is what you're dealing with it's it, it, it's the equivalent of you know a peacock fluffing its feathers you know you know pluming out its feathers and uh and showing what it's got you know it, it it's hilarious because you know even a has that like oh because it doesn't have that you feel yourself you know uh personally cast Uh, cast aside, you know, instead of saying castrated. It's hilarious. It's just a really great laugh out loud moment. Uh, And Peter David's really great at making mundane things hilarious, as I mentioned before. And this right here, the entire action figure squabble and the teddy bear thing and the entire gift shop idea. Fucking hilarious. Once again, good episode. I do not think it's as strong as Soulmates, but it's still pretty good. I shall see you next week For one of my all time favorite episodes, and now for a word. Until then, see ya. Bye.